Welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with that animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers to people that just have an intense passion for the ocean, for ocean life. My name's Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Nicole. And we're going to talk all about psychoglossins. Nicole is the ReefWatch Project Officer at the Victoria National Parks Authority and is a pretty beefed up marine biologist. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. So psychoglossins, when, when you first said that, I was like, oh, they're a type of nudibrink, aren't they? But they're, which is a sea slug, but they're not, are they? Like, what, what is a psychoglossin for everyone out there? Yeah, so they are a sea slug and nudibranchs are also a sea slug, but yeah, they're, they're kind of like two different, um, two different groups. So the sagagossans or the sap-sucking sea slugs are probably my favourite group of sea slugs. I, I could talk for hours on any of the sea slug groups, <laughs> but I think these guys in particular are just like, they're just really fascinating and they're very cool and they're quite exciting to find in the wild. If anyone doesn't know what a sea slug is, it's just a slug that lives underwater, really. Kind of similar, but they're known for lots of colours. But what are psychoglossins known for? Um, yeah, so these ones are mostly herbivorous slugs. They have a really cool way that they go about getting their food. So most snails, instead of having like proper teeth, kind of have this thing called a radula. And it's basically like a tongue, but it's often kind of coated in these hard structures, a bit like teeth. And so the Sagogossans, they're almost like little cellular assassins because they come along and their radulas are almost like a little dagger and they slit open the cell walls of the plants that they feed on and they actually suck all of the contents of the cell out. So it's a pretty wow. unusual strategy. <laughs> but that's, that's really cool. Like instead of kind of grinding away at like a sponge or something, they just, yeah, cut it open and bleed the algae out, I guess, in a weird way. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh. how they feed. And so they get to take on like the, the colour of the algae. So often you'll find them in these bright green colours. For anyone who is kind of picturing like, you know, nudibranchs, once we say nudibranchs, you're thinking all these bright, colourful things. If anyone's ever heard of the Shaun the Sheep or the Leaf Sheep sea slug, that's actually a sacrobossum. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm going to confess right now that I could have sworn that was a nudibranch. They, they're, cra they're crazy animals. And I, I do think they look quite cute with their little eye spots. And yeah, he, he in particular looking like a little fluffy sheep is pretty adorable. Yeah, I mean, and like, with, like Sean the Sheep ones, I think because if anyone like knows nudibranch, they may have heard of Sean the Sheep. And they're, what, the size of your like little fingernail or something, I would say, or even smaller. Yeah, so um, most of the sapsuckers, uh, most of the Victorian species especially, are like very tiny. They're sort of maybe one to two centimetres, um, but some of them are even smaller than that, so a couple of millimetres. Wow. And what, what algae, so if we're talking about species in Melbourne, Victoria, what kind of algae do they live on exactly? Um, so it, it probably depends on the species that you're looking for. And apparently Victoria is quite um, rich for, for this type of sea slugs species. Um, so you find them in things like seagrass as well as proper algae. I tend to find them, I find the ones that hang out on things like codium, so like the dead man's fingers, um, and sea lettuce, so the uber. 
And as well as like the sea grapes, so the Kalepa. So any of those kind of green intertidal, typical sort of algae type things. Oh, wow. I'll have to have a closer look. Like I'm always out looking for nudibranchs and I'm always like, I won't look too close to that bit of seaweed floating past. But yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited to go find some actually. And so they, they break open the algae and then they suck it out. And I was reading that they actually turn it into a form of solar power, which I really want to hear about. Yeah, so so most of the slugs um, will just feed on the contents um, and it, it'll probably give them some coloration. So again, like I said, that's why you find most of them are like a bright green colour. Um, but there are a couple of different species and I believe the um, Sean the Sheep is one of them. Um, but a lot of the Victorian ones that we have are the Alicia species um, and there's a couple of species in that group that actually keep the chloroplasts, so the things that photosynthesize in the algae, keep them alive in their own tissues. And so then they can basically photosynthesize and they can benefit from um, the products of photosynthesis. And there have been a couple of studies to look at how like effective this is, because just because it can kind of do it, you know, it might not be a lot of benefit, but for some species, they can actually survive a couple of months off of just the photosynthesizing alone. So it's pretty handy. Like, I mean, I just have to compare it to, it'd be like, a cow eating grass, then turning green and then being just able to absorb sunlight and live. Like you (laughs) think of that kind of stuff, like I guess lots of animals like benefit off other animals, like even humans with bacteria in our gut and stuff. Yeah. Cause is there any other sea creature, you know, that can do that? So there's, uh, there's one other group of sea slugs, um, the nudibranchs. There's a couple of species in the nudibranchs that can do it with uh, the same things that you find in coral. So they find that because they eat the corals, they get that, those same sort of little cells and to a degree they think it works the same way but it's definitely the only group of animals the psychogossons where it's confirmed this is actually a like a survival strategy and a really working form of an animal taking on these um, cells and being able to photosynthesize wow and so i wouldn't normally get this technical but i just have to hear <laughs> a little bit more like how do, do they know much about how the chloroplasts are actually able to survive inside and pass that energy on without, I believe, having, like, I think it was, like, gene interaction like a normal plant would have? Yeah, so I was doing a bit of reading on this because I didn't know myself, um, and it it does sound pretty technical. Um, It's not entirely certain. It's a bit controversial, and there's this talk of, um, like, gene transfer um, where effectively, like, the nudie, sorry, not the nudie, the sea slug, that their own cells, like the nucleus of their own cells, starts taking over and commanding the chloroplasts um, effectively. So that's that's pretty crazy. Um, But, yeah, I think they have to look more into that. Is that... And this might be like showing my amateur like biologist knowledge, but is that similar to like how mitochondria kind of got absorbed into like animal tissues and stuff in a way back in like millions of years ago? Yeah. I'm sorry, that's a bit of a jumpy question. I'm just just like thinking like this is kind of like, you know, so often we look at sea creatures as the evolutionary, you know, examples. And I'm just, wow, it sounds just like humans like getting or like animals getting mitochondrial DNA into them. Crazy. But anyway, back to... um, (laughs) Um, psychoglossums. So we discussed where they live. So I'm presuming like, you know, algae and stuff, it's all shallow water. Is that, have there any been any deeper species or are it always near the shore or intertidal zone? So you can find a few, um, I guess, subtitally, but not very deep. A lot of these, yeah, because they are um, pretty dependent on those types of algae, you'll find them pretty intertidal. Like some you can even find in like a couple of millimetres of water. Okay. And like worldwide, how many species would there be? Of this egg gossens, um, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> that's <laughs> I well, that, that, 
that, I'm gonna put it in the show. I'm gonna have a little like the outro song, and then we'll just have like a little like there are 400 species or whatever there are. So I reckon, yeah, really blowing my mind. Like, um, are there any other cool facts about sacred blossom? Well, one of my cool facts was gonna be about the the solar powered thing. Um, I guess a cool term because it has got its own special term it's called kleptoplasty um so because it's the plastids or the chloroplasts and klepto meaning to steal so if if you wanted to know what that specific um, strategy i guess is it's kleptoplasty yeah one thing they do have a lot of the species um and it's again pretty typical for seasides is that they don't have like a set body type so um, some of them even have shells um, some of them have shells like that are on the inside. Some of them almost look like they have um, like a bivalve shell, so like a clam or a mussel, which is pretty crazy for a, for a snail. But some of them again have these kind of wing-like um, appendages along the sides of their bodies and that's they're called parapodia. Um, and just like wings, they actually help some of these sea slugs like swim through the water. So that's also a pretty crazy thing for a slow-moving little slug. So they, they can swim, literally swim. Yeah, like. Wow. And I have to go back. So they have shells. Some have shells on the inside and some have on the outside. I've seen the ones with it on the outside and I have always been like, oh, like it's a nudie brain with a shell, but obviously I was wrong. But a shell on the inside, how does that work? Basically just the, uh, so what we call like the mantle. So the outer part and the top part of the um, slug ends up kind of growing over the shell itself. I don't really know what the benefit to the animal is. I guess it's still at least a hard part protecting, you know, their main squishy organs. But yeah, it's just hidden by uh, most of the outside of their body. Wow, and so the, the ones with the shells, they don't actually photosynthesize, do they? Um, I don't think any of those species are photosynthetic, no. Yeah, so it's almost like there's two different, like real separate groups within sacroglossins. So, yeah, so there's a couple, yeah. And so the two separate groups, so is it they're just sacroglossins because they're herbivores or like what makes them like really different from like anything else? So it is, it is kind of the fact that they're herbivores. It's mainly to do with their, like their feeding strategy. So it's about um, that particular type of radula. Um, and they all have these really, really strong cheek muscles. I think that's actually where the sacroglossin name comes from. So like glossin meaning, meaning like throat and cheek. And basically what they do is once they've cut open that algal cell, they pump the contact contents of the cell out um, using their, their buccal cavity, so their cheeks. Whoa, so it's, it's literally like using a straw, like you're kind of like sucking your cheeks in and out to like, like yeah, another like living thing's tissue into you so you can use it for yourself. Yeah, so they're sneaky little thieves, basically. <laughs> yeah. And so say someone is like a snorkeler or a diver and they've never seen them before, like, what's your best advice or what would you do to go and see them? So with these ones, um, even though they can be kind of these bright green colours, they are almost always going to be actually found on the algae. Um, so my advice is uh, for this particular type of sea slug, you have to be really patient. Like, I know it's, it can be quite a challenge spotting sea slugs at the best of times. But if I'm out looking for these guys, yeah, I know that it, it could take me like a, quite a few minutes of just sitting, staring at a rock pool, like waiting to see something moving across the sand before I actually pick something up. Wow. And, and so you've just mentioned rock pools. So like, I mean, so often I think sea creatures, I think scuba diving, maybe snorkeling, but yeah, just rock pools along like rocky beaches, I guess. Yeah, they are actually pretty easy to find at quite a few places um, in Victoria. So the big places that I like to go would be places like um, Point Lonsdale at the rock, 
uh, rock pools in the Rocky Intertidal near the lighthouse. There's a couple of really great spots where you can find a couple of different species. Um, and you don't even, yeah, you do not have to get wet. You can kind of just sit there um, having a look over the like a couple of millimeters of water. And if you're patient and if you keep an eye out for things moving, give it a few minutes. Um, go and try and find a bit of of algae because it's easier to yeah you're more likely to come across something if you're near the food there's places like um, ricketts point the marine sanctuary um, near by morris that's a really good spot for finding them um, and i've also had a lot of luck down near like flinders as well um, oh, wow. there is a, there's a great spot for sea slugs um, in torquay and it's a bit of a world famous site it's where our sort of victorian resident Nudie bank expert Bob Byrne has kind of found most of the species that he's named. Um, so that's a great spot if you're in the area too. Again, with all of these, you basically just have to find the food. So find some algae, get down really close, get comfortable and, and wait to see if anything moves. Like you can kind of turn over the algae gently to see whether there's something hiding underneath. But obviously I'd advise that if you're going to do that, try to limit your disturbance and, and um, put everything back after you've, found, after you've found your slugs. I spend a lot of time at Ricketts Point and I have always look at the sea lettuce because I take a lot of yeah. photos of the sea lettuce. And I'm like, oh, it's so green. It's so beautiful. But I've never actually looked really, really closely at it. Yeah. So do they look, so the Sean the sheep nudie, so I'll explain. It's kind of like, as you said, it's small and it looks like a sheep. If a sheep had like, I reckon like 30 dreadlocks of wool yeah. and, yeah. and it was green yeah. and yeah. really big ears. So the ones like other ones, are they all, are they similar into that description or are they more like a worm, like a flat kind of worm or? Again, that really depends on which ones you are looking at. Um, there are a few that look a bit like Asher on the sheep. Um, so they have these things which we call serrata, which are basically just tentacly-like things that um, help with digestion and breathing. So you get a few that look like that. Um, there are a couple that where the serrata almost look like little bubbles, and they're the ones that you'll find in, like, the calerpa, the sea grapes, because they look a bit like sea grapes. But the ones that I really like, the Alicia species, and they're the ones that, um, or some of the ones that can do the, the solar-powered stuff, they often get called, like, you know, green leaf nudies and um, they really do look like kind of little leaf shaped bits of algae. So they're the, they're kind of tough to find, but I, I think they look very graceful and very cool. And I like to find those ones. Yeah. I'm going to have to spend some time with a really close up lens in some rock pools, I think not even getting wet. That's just like, yeah, mind blowing. Cool. And so you're from the Victorian National Park Association, um, as you said earlier, do the VNPA do much? I know they do a sea slug census. I presume that includes, do you get many sea slugs, like um, cyclogloss slugs reported in the census that happens once a year? Yeah, so at the moment we're actually um, we're running about three a year. So it's, it's growing quite rapidly. It's pretty exciting. We very much get kind of swamped with like nudibranchs because they are kind of the... You know, they're, they're, they're poster children for the sea slugs and they're, they're very cool to find. And they're the ones that the divers and the snorkelers are really looking out for. I think I ran the numbers the other day and I think we had about six or seven percent of the sightings that people send in um, are actually psychophosans. So I'd love to see more, uh, but they are probably a little bit harder to find. I guess the trade-off is that you don't actually have to be able to snorkel or to dive to be able to see these ones. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, which is pretty handy because especially like I think the sea slug census outside of COVID was meant to take place a few weeks ago, was it? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty disappointing, but we decided it was best to pull pin on that one. <laughs> yeah. 
The other, I mean, the thing that strikes me about that and like what you're saying to the rock pools and being able to see them, that is the middle of winter in Victoria where we are and, and we dive a lot in Port Phillip Bay and snorkel where it is extremely cold. So, yeah, I mean, if there's a way you can get out and participate in a sea slug census without getting wet, then I think that's so fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I'm, um, I'm not super great with the cold, I'll be honest. So even for the October census and the March census, I, um, I prefer to do my rock pool rambling most of the time and then I'll, I'll jump in the water for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great, and it's great for, I guess, um, like young families and yeah, maybe people who just, just really don't want to pile on all the gear and, and get in for the day. Like it is a patience game. It takes a little while to find them, but it's, like, it's a pretty good payoff. It's like finding buried treasure. <laughs> and so if you found your uh, bear, nudie, your sea slug buried treasure, uh, where would you identify them or how would you go about like finding out what species you found? There's a couple of pretty good guides. Um, Museum Victoria's got a really nice guide written by Bob Byrne, who, who is the re resident expert for um, sea slugs and he's the one that we send all of our census information to. Um, Port Phillip Bay taxonomy toolkit's not bad. We're actually working on uh, a booklet, sort of a bit of a for beginners, um, but that's not out quite yet. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> time for next census. <laughs> and so the next census, so if COVID all quietens down, when will the next census be? Oh, uh, look, we, yeah, it's, it's hard to commit to anything with everything going on, but ideally we've been wanting to run our censuses, like I guess every season, because um, there is a bit of, uh, variation in like how many species you see and the kinds of species that you see in all the sea slug group, groups depending on what time of the year so we have been running for the last couple of years one in October I would love to be able to do another October one it's it's usually a pretty popular one but yeah unfortunately we're just gonna have to see how this plays out cool well thank you very much for talking to us about seiko glossens between me about seiko glossens the uh lesser known uh sea slug the nudibranchs greener cousin i would say and so if anyone wants to find out more about vnpa and what they do and the ReefWatch program your best way would be your website i presume Yes, you can go to um, vnpa.org.au slash uh, c-slugs or otherwise you can get in touch with me at melbourneseaslugcensus at gmail.com. Ah, oh, cool. Well, thank you very much. And if you want to check out more sea creatures and facts and hopefully soon Seiko Gloss and photos after I get out there, you can check out my Instagram or Facebook and it's Matt Testoni Photography. And so this has been the Sea Creatures podcast on Sacred Glossons. And once again, thank you, Nicole, for joining us. Sea Creatures podcast is hosted, produced and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. During the show, we mentioned how many Sacred Glossons there are. There are 284. Also, at the beginning of the show, I incorrectly referred to the Victorian National Park Association as authority. It's actually association. Sorry about that. You can see more of my photography on Instagram at matt underscore testoni underscore photography and my webpage mtunderwatermedia.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account, patreon.com slash podcast. Production assistance by George McGrath and music by Dan Musel and his fantastic slide guitar. Tune in next time to hear all about seahorses with Josie Jones. Sea Creatures Podcast, over and out.